Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining. Uh, our guest today is Mr. Kyle Bryant. He lives in Tennessee, but he's from Houston. And this is a little different podcast today. We're going to talk about land. So Kyle and his firm, Titus Land Holdings, uh, do land investments. So all kinds of stuff. The, the buy stuff, sell it, subdivide it. DJE, as you may or may not know, has been in the land business for a number of years now. We really enjoy it. And so I want to talk shop with somebody that's also in the land business, obviously different markets. Although I did find out we just bought some land in the same county in, in Texas, in North Texas. So I thought that was interesting, but um, great to just to, to pick his brain. He is an attorney for a number of years, um, got into real estate through multifamily passive investing actually in Houston, and then went on to learn about land and, and formed Titus Land Holdings. And now they're doing land deals of all shapes and sizes. So we really dig in on what they're looking for, how they operate, how they're raising capital. He's launching a fund in 2023. Um, and all, all of that good stuff, what his team looks like uh, and how he's built the business, which I'm always curious to learn from successful entrepreneurs who have the courage to go out on their own and, and start something and, and uh, end up being a success at it. So I think you can enjoy this interview with Kyle couple of messages from our sponsors real quick. Number one, DJE Texas. That's our company. If you'd like to be on our investor list and see projects that we're putting out, uh, please go to djetexas.com to register there. Secondly, if you're interested in learning more about becoming an apartment, an apartment owner operator and buying apartments to run as investments, you can go to apartmenteducators.com. There's a free eight-part video series that I teach there that you can go get for free. And if you're in Texas, in a major metro in Texas, we have monthly meetups, really well-attended events, great speakers, great networking opportunities. It all starts with signing up at apartmenteducators.com. All right, that's it for the sponsor messages. Let's jump into this interview with Kyle Bryant. Here we go. Kyle, welcome to the show. It's good to see you. How are you? Awesome. Thanks, man, for having me. Yeah, glad glad to have you on. And we were kind of talking in the green room before about how this isn't going to be necessarily a multifamily specific show like it is most of the time. But that was one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you is you're you're doing land in Tennessee and we'll we'll, or we'll dive into all that. But uh, a little bit just a little bit different flavor, I think, for the audience today uh, to kind of learn about that business model. So I want to I want to dig in on all that stuff. But first, how about you know your, your background? How would you get started in, and and what brought you or attracted you to real estate in the first place? Sure. Well, uh, I tell people now that I'm a recovering attorney, um, nice. so <laughs> I have a legal background. I went to law school, um, actually at the start of the Great Financial Crisis. So um, went to law school then, um, 2008, and then graduated in 2011 and practiced for actually. Um, nine years about, um, ended up my last gig, I was doing property tax litigation. So that was okay. my first serious exposure to real estate. We represented, um, commercial property owners in Texas to help lower their taxes. Yep. Yeah. A, a noble, a noble cause for sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we, we always appreciate you guys doing everything you can there. Um, you know, one of the things I think when I think attorney is, is like risk aversion, right? So you made the hop to, 
operator investor, a lot of attorneys, um, in my experience, kind of only see all the risks, and, and and that's our job to put these PPMs together and look at the look at the risks. But what do you think that is? Was was are you just built different, or did you see enough of the other side that you were okay with that risk profile? What was what was your case? You know, honestly, I don't know, and and it's funny you say that because it's totally true. Um, when I was practicing, me and a couple of other guys who are also attorneys, uh, we put some money together to go into multifamily deals and we just ripped those PPMs apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, with the guys that we were putting money with. And in hindsight, sure. that probably wasn't the best, but you know, we were so concerned about every jot and tittle that we lost the forest for the trees. Um yep. I think for me, it it really is just uh, a mindset shift that the people who take the biggest risks usually have the largest outcomes positively. Mm -hmm. You know, they may fail a couple times, um, but you know, it's the the classic adage: if if you never try, you know, you'll never win and you never lose, but you'll stay where you are. And so that's I kind of got sick of that. Yeah. Well, you know, kudos for for making the jump because I think it's just kind of a completely different mindset. Robert Kiyosaki's got that book called something along the lines of uh, A students work for C students or something like that. It's It seems like sometimes the guy that doesn't know any better goes out there and takes the risk. And if he can do a few things right, he, he, he might end up building something. So anyway, but nonetheless, tremendous background to have for this business, right? I mean, sure. you, you know, I see kind of the CPA accountant skill set be a really strong foundation for successful real estate entrepreneurs. Certainly the law uh, foundation, very, very strong um, foundation there. And so what what was your entry into real estate? Was it the, the multifamily LP stuff like you just mentioned? Or what, what what got you into the world of actually doing deals? Yeah, I think it's a similar story to a lot of people. I read Robert Kiyosaki's book, um, you know, that yep. kind of turned me on to the idea of owning assets that paid you money. And so then I got into bigger pockets, you know, just kind of looking at the forums and that I think that's the gateway drug for a lot of people. Sure. Um, and I just ran into a guy who was putting together multifamily syndications. And I was like, Hey man, like, do you need any help? Like, can I do something for you? Can I go find some money for you? Uh, yep. what deals are you working on? And you know, they were kind of trying to get their wings under them as well to kind of grow and scale their portfolio. So we just did a deal with them and I liked it. And so we kind of started looking at other deals to do. Uh, we did three deals with those guys in Houston um, and tried to do it on my own, but it it's a really hard space, I found out. Sure. Yeah, definitely a lot of competition deals have been tight, uh, at least leading up to mid 2022, you know, 20 mid 2022, things kind of ground to a halt and we'll, we'll see where they go next year. So <clears throat> you had the exposure and the experience, um, with multifamily decided to move on from that. At this point, were you full-time real estate investor? Were you still practicing law? What did that look like? I was actually, um, I was practicing part-time. Um, I was practicing law part-time so there's another wrinkle to the story is actually starting a classical school in Houston. So I was doing okay. that part-time as well. So I, I was always the guy kind of guy that liked to have multiple irons in the fire, sure. uh, never really liked doing just one thing. And so I was doing both of those things. And I realized that I definitely wanted to continue with real estate. I was practicing property tax litigation and I liked doing that. Um, but getting into the multifamily space, and this was in 2016, I think, mm -hmm. um, 
doing that full time and just stepping back from law completely, that was, it was going to be a losing bet. That was too much risk, even for me, I think, um, just given sure. the landscape of things, right. And my lack of experience. So I knew I wanted to stay in real estate. I just didn't think it was going to be multifamily at that point. Got it. Got it. So bridge the gap for us to today with Titus Land Holdings based out of Tennessee doing doing land deals, right? Different, different flavor for sure than multifamily. What did that journey look like and that change? So I found a course online that was like, hey, you can buy land dirt cheap in different ways and you know, flip it on the internet. And I was like, that sounds not true. <laughs> and, you know, very skeptical. I, I think, you know, a lot of people come in, especially as an attorney, come in with an right. eye of skepticism for these you know, online yes. education courses. Um, but, you know, my wife really encouraged me and she knew I wasn't really happy just practicing law. And I knew I wanted to get into real estate significantly. And so she encouraged me to do it, just try it. You know, there's low risk because the barrier to entry for flipping land, which is what I started to do, was really low because there is a lot of cheap dirt out there. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, the seventies was a heyday of creating what we call paper subdivisions where you can just flip paper lots. It's just flipping paper, basically Sure. super low barrier to entry. You can start with like 500 bucks. Um, wow. I remember I went online um, to an auction website and I bought a third of an acre in uh, the Ozarks in Arkansas for a dollar. Transacted for a dollar. Yeah. You know, I paid uh, probably three hundred dollars in fees. You know, yep. so I was all into it for four hundred bucks. But I sold it two weeks later to a builder for thirty five hundred bucks. That'll work. I was hooked. Good ROI. <laughs> I was hooked. Do more of those. <laughs> that was it. I, I was like, I, I'm all in. How can I buy more of them? You know. And yep. so I started looking at different types of property to buy. Like, sort of started diving into the industry. And there's a whole subculture of people people who find off market vacant land in different areas and and flip it to end users. And so I just dove right into that. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. We're doing land in Texas. Like the land stuff we do is rural, one, two hours from major metros. And the game plan is usually just do a simple subdivision. You know, might buy 500 acres and then sell four or five tracks. And so, you know, we're actually closing on it. It's pretty capital intensive, but then your buyer pool at 100 acres is pretty big and a lot of times pretty well capitalized, not necessarily too price sensitive. So that model has been working for us in addition to multifamily and, and other things we're doing is there, are you got, do you guys have a target, you know, size or market or is it like, Hey, nationwide, if this deal pencils, let's do it. Well, when we started, it was basically, Hey, we'll go anywhere. Just throw a dart at a dartboard and, and see what sticks. Yep. That doesn't really work as much for us anymore based on what we need. So we have really niched down into like two or three markets where we think there's positive growth potential. And we actually yep. do have a couple of projects and subdivide projects in Texas, like you were talking about. Um, oh, we've nice. got one We got one in uh, Navarro County, which is about an hour south of Dallas near Corsicana. Mm -hmm. And then we've got one in Sulphur Springs right now as well. Um, so, you know, I moved from Texas a, a year ago. So I was born in Houston, grew up there, family there. So yep. a majority of our deals leading up to about a year ago or six months ago were, are in Texas. So we've got, I think, 17 properties in Texas right now that we're working on. Oh, excellent. Yeah, that's great. Um, is there on your exits, is there always, I guess, how far are you going down the, 
kind of value add? Is it purely a buy and sell kind of uh, arbitrage on maybe, you know, buying something off market and then being able to list it at whatever price you want? Are you guys going in and doing roads or, or you know, a lot of value add or, uh, you know, entitlements or anything like that? Or is it just eat, take it as it comes each deal? Yeah, we, we kind of have the systems set up to do any of those things. We haven't done like, uh, we haven't done build ready lots yet. So, you know, stubbing utilities, paved roads, all that stuff. We haven't done any of that. Um, yep. You know, we can, we have the systems to wholesale. We we close on most of our properties. Um, and we we really like what I call paper improvements. So that would be entitlements. We're working on one of those in Dallas, uh, and sorry, Tyler, right now where mm. we're getting it, you know, entitled for 200 units, multifamily on a major road. So that's what I call paper improvements. We really like those. Um, right. And then, you know, we'll run power. We'll, we'll do, you know, gravel roads and stuff like that. Um, I think that's probably the highest ROI improvement just because it's not quite as capital intensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. You could spend a whole lot of at-risk capital and take it pretty far if you wanted to, but um, getting in and out is, is really good too. So what's the, what's the team look like these days? You, you just moved to Tennessee recently. Is this, is it you and kind of an admin knocking this out as, has the team grown or what, you know, what's facilitating all this activity right now for you guys? Well, about a year and a half ago, it was just me. Um, and I had some work here and there with a VA and I had a part-time sort of assistant. Uh, but now we are uh, six full-time, including myself. Oh, wow. Uh, so okay. we've got three. Uh, I have two people in U.S. Uh, and then three people overseas that help out. Um, so I have an acquisitions manager that's responsible for our underwriting, negotiating with sellers, things like that. Um, yep. And he has an acquisitions assistant under him who's responsible basically for the cold lead gen on the seller side. Um, sure. And then I've got an operations manager to kind of uh, bring down the hammer when we need to. Um, and then uh, some other overseas help as well. Yeah, gotcha. Did you guys go through a um, a broker for your VAs overseas or did you find them on Upwork or how'd you go about that? Two of them um, came from onlinejobs.ph. Nice. Uh, great website. Um, and then one of them came through a service. There's there's a service in, in the land space that recruits and trains um, acquisitions VAs specifically for land investors. And so we got one through cool. that service and she's worked out really well. Yeah, that's such an efficient way to run the business. We have one VA right now on our accounting team. Everybody else is US based, but um, you know, the productivity per dollar for that kind of stuff, if you could set it up right, it's pretty amazing. Oh yeah, it's huge. huge. Pretty, pretty amazing. So um, that's awesome to be able to build a, a, a lean team like that. A lot of folks overseas and a lot of folks here. So let's kind of get over to the to the capital side of it. You know, how are you closing these deals? And then I know we were talking earlier a little bit about your fund. Would love to kind of dive in on on both those deals. Are you raising money from investors right now? Are you, you know, assigning contracts and just flipping paper, or, or what does that look like? Sure. So we do flip paper. Um, there is a good market for cheap residential lots in tertiary residential markets. Yeah. Um, so we look for, for example, Clarksville, Tennessee. It's about an hour northwest of Nashville. Um, they just announced there's going to be a huge 
EV battery plant going in that's going to bring, you know, thousands of jobs there. Uh, they're not going to be, you know, super high white collar paying jobs, but they're going to be good, stable. And so we're looking for, you know, smaller residential lots that you could put a mobile home on or something like that. And you can flip paper on that all day long and, you know, pay the overhead um, of the team and stuff like that. So that's pretty, it's a pretty easy process. We have that down um, in terms of finding them and then, and then flipping it. We do allocate a lot of capital on our larger flips. So let's say a property is between 50K and $200,000. Um, and it's we think it's going to take between six and 12 months to sell. Uh, we'll buy it outright. You know, if we have a value add plan, whether that's clearing it, whether it's just making it look nice, whatever it may be, we'll implement that plan and then we'll put it on the market and, and flip it. But um, those pieces of paper are harder to flip just because the sellers generally know, have a better idea of what it's worth. Uh, we usually need to do some sort of value add situation uh, to make the ROI that we want. And it's hard to get, you know, a six, eight month contract on, you know, a piece of land like that because somebody else is just going to buy it quicker. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. For and sure. then on the larger stuff, um, that's where, you know, we're getting into when we're getting into entitlements, when we're getting into subdivides, it's really easy to throw a lot of money away on deals that don't work. <laughs> yeah. We found, you know, uh, you know, thousands of dollars on surveys, on subdivide surveys, only to find out later that, you know, something's not going to pencil, it's not going to work, and there's no way you could have found out beforehand. Um, so we've gotten some some war stories there, but uh, we are looking to to buy those outright. We would like to buy them and then not have to worry about selling them 90 days later or four months later. I right. do think there's a shift in the market happening right now. Everybody knows it. Um, everybody feels it. Um, sellers feel it, which is good for us because it means it's a good time to buy, but buyers are feeling it. And so they're really gun shy right now. Um, our end buyers are at least. So we're having to shift our strategy to think more long-term. What can we do with land long-term to add value and to force appreciation, but not be you know, beholden to market ups and downs in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so let's talk about this fund. You mentioned that you're putting a fund together. How's that going? What kind of a structure is it? Um, how are you going to, you know, sources, uses, all that, all that fun stuff. We'd love to learn more about that. Sure. Um, and, you know, being an attorney, you would think I would know a lot more about this than I do. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's a different world. Um, sure. Sure. You know, I, I do remember back in my early attorney days, a guy came to me and was like, Hey, we want to raise all this money for single house, you know, SFR flipping. And we want to pay out profits like this. And I was like, okay, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. You know, I was probably 26 at the time, second year lawyer. And so I, and these guys were like 22, they didn't know any better. And so I wrote up this agreement and I think they raised like $2 million with this agreement. And then I started studying securities law, like in depth later on, I was like, you know, I don't know if that was the right thing to do. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was like, man, this is kind of complicated. So um, we're still in our, I would say in our infancy, we're, we're defining the structure of, of the fund and what it's going to look like. Um, you know, a lot of say multifamily syndications or other uh, funds where the assets are spitting off cash flow. you know, they have cash flow targets. Well, with land, you're not really spitting off cash flow in the traditional sure. sense, right? So we have to rethink 
and recalibrate our investors and potential investors' expectations of what this is going to look like. Um, it's more going to look like a VC fund where you know you you put money in, and a few years later you get a really fat check. Um, nice. And in between, we're doing our value add strategy, we're doing our entitlement strategies, but we're re recapitalizing all the profits, uh, basically. Um, and so that's what the structure is going to look like. We haven't uh, sort of gone public with it yet. Um, we're finalizing all the legal stuff, you know, and, and getting all that stuff in place so that we can give people, you know, the pitch deck and the PPM and things like that. Um, but we're looking to launch it at the end of Q1 2023. We have a pipeline full. I think we've got like two or two million dollars in escrow right now of land to buy. Um, we're working on on those parcels and we're actively looking uh, for value add. What we really like right now is land and growing markets in there's a, a couple in Tennessee and a couple in Texas where we know that the residential growth is expanding where we can look for land that's going to be good for commercial use um and do sort of the the stuff in the middle where the sausage is made between you know farmland and a CVS goes on top of it. You know, there's a lot that happens in the middle and we want to jump in the middle of that. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Have you guys had any any luck with uh, with mineral rights? I mean, we've we've scraped a bunch off of deal, land deals we've done. I don't expect a nickel of ever off any of it, but you, have you ever gotten lucky with with some of that stuff? No, but there's a guy that I know uh, in Houston who does this, and it it's just so I don't want to say bizarre because everybody knows that you know mineral a lot of minerals are severed in Houston or Texas in general, and there's oil yep. everywhere. And yep. there's a whole submarket for people going out and finding, you know, royalty interests and and mineral rights and trading them, you know, underground things like that. We've never done yeah. it, uh, just because it's a whole separate process that we're not really equipped for. Um, it would add a bunch of headaches, and I don't know if the the risk adjusted return would justify the headaches. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What we do really almost all the time, if we can, is we, we'll ask the seller for the mineral rights and then we'll yeah. set them aside in another entity and then sell the land. And so we basically are in and out of the deal, but we retain the mineral rights. Now, if the seller's yeah. like pound sand, it's like, okay, I mean, it doesn't factor into the economics of the deal at all. But if we can stack some mineral rights along the way, uh, doesn't cost anything to hold them. You know? Yeah. If it's just an extra piece of paper for you, then. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Um, and to be honest with you, a lot of the deals that we've done in Texas, the minerals were severed, you know, hundred years ago. Yep. Um, yep. And it, that's just the way it is down there. It's just yep. Yeah, it's just surface rights. Um, how about on the um, on the sales side? Are you are you doing any owner finance notes? Are you holding notes? Are you tying up notes and selling them? You know, is there is there any of that as part of your, you know approach here to these land deals? Cause it looks like, I know we've held quite a few owner finance notes uh, on some of these and it seems like you can get a little higher price. Obviously interest rate is, is really high, but it's got its own risks too. Are you guys playing in that space at all on the land stuff? Yeah, we have about 20 notes uh, between 15 and 20 right now um, yep. that we've accumulated over the last couple of years. It's, it's got its pluses and minuses, you know, uh, one of the minuses is that we're this. I say this is foolishly. We're self-servicing these notes. Um, I got you. Yeah, and so we're tracking down late payments, and we tried to make it as efficient as possible with automatic withdrawals and things like that. Uh, 
but at the end of the day, like people don't pay, you know, we're the ones tracking them down. Um, yeah. A lot of work, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. But, you know, it's nice to have that income come in every month oh, yeah. and help yeah. cover the overhead. So I'm not complaining about it. Um, we are, we do offer owner financing on most of our deals. Um, and we also, if we want to recapitalize that, we have a note buyer that we work with who he'll double, he'll basically double close with us. We'll send him the the sales contract and say, hey, here's the terms. And he tells yeah. us what terms he likes. And so that's what we offer. And we send him the contract and he's like, great, I'll, you know, buy it 85%. Perfect. Yeah. So, so he, we'll, you're, you're his acquisition team, right? He's like, here's what I want. You go out and make it happen. And I'll buy it from you. If you got a hundred K note, uh, he'll buy it from you for 85 K. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And he does all the paperwork on his end. And so it, it's oh, cool. really smooth, really smooth. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And so you're not even taking title at that point. You're just, you're just handing it off to him at the, at the closing. Yeah. Period. At closing, we do an assignment of the deed of trust right to his entity. Yeah. Beautiful. And then I think just, I think he goes and hypothecates it and gets all his money back <laughs> and then just recycles it. I think he does. Yeah. Uh, hey, he's and got he an keeps, avenue for that. Yeah, he keeps a little bit on the top every month. And so he just keeps recycling it all the time. So that I, it's a whole new world. Yeah, it is. We've got a pile of notes. And I was looking at it the other day and I was telling our team, like, man, we need to sell some of these. Like, we're sitting on it's great. It's great cash flow. We've got a great spread on them from our buy price to what the what the balance is, and they're all performing. But it's like, man, at some point we need to cash some of these out and go, you know, go turn that cash again. But it's a cool it's a cool option to have. I mean, it pays for the operating, you know, and then I mean, pays a lot more than that. That cash flow keeps um, some of the companies running, you know, yeah. which is which yeah, is really nice. But the yield guys are out in force right now. There's they're yep. coming out of the woodworks. You know, if they can get some yep. yield on notes, they're they're buying them all day long. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's awesome. We've been using a, a servicer called Southern Loan Servicing. I think they're based out of Louisiana, but they and I'm sure there's a million like them. We've been real happy with them. Nice dashboard. They the borrower pays the fee. You know, yeah. it's whatever, 40 bucks a month, 20 bucks. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but we don't we don't pay it. And we just get, you know, we just get the check. And if they're late, you know, Southern goes and bangs on their door, does whatever. But um, that that's been that's been kind of nice, just trying to keep track of all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so next year, you know, we're talking at the very end of 2023, and this I'm sorry, 2022. This podcast gets to release very early 2023. Um, what do you think's ahead for you guys, and how has everything the Fed's doing? Uh, with interest rates Im impacted your plans for next year? Well, it's really impact. Really, the only thing that the Fed has impacted is our buyer pool yep. has shrunk, and then the stuff that you know we had put in the pipeline for development to sell to developers. You know, those guys are just like uh, doesn't pencil right now. That's yep. that's how it's affected us the most. Most of our purchases are done cash, um, so it hasn't really affected oh, nice. us on the acquisition side. So um, yeah. we we like the flexibility of buying in cash. We only we have debt only on one deal right now, um, oh, and we we actually just closed on it at six and a half percent, which wasn't too bad given the circumstances. Yeah, no kidding. Um, and so yeah, the flexibility of all cash, and then so we're just going to keep rolling. I think more sellers are going to want the liquidity of being able to sell. And so that's what we kind of, you know, we market ourselves to sellers as a liquidity option, right? We, we provide certainty, we provide liquidity and we provide an option for you to, to access that right now. Um, and then we put our, you know, value add strategy into play. So I think, you know, for next year, 
we have to shift our mindset to, you know, it's okay if we hold on to this parcel for a year because we have a strategy. Um, yep. And that's part of what we're raising the fund for is that we're looking for investors who are longer term minded on land um, rather yep. than needing, you know, monthly cash flow from a multifamily. Hey, let's uh, let's three X our money over the next five years, um, but we're not going to see any cash flow in between. Um, yep. You know, I, I can work that plan, I think, with land. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. It's interesting how sometimes a three x equity multiple. Um, people sometimes people oddly want their cash, like every month or every quarter, even if it's a lower return. And I guess it's just the bird in the hand thing, right? They can they can yeah. see their distribution, but it's like, gosh, you're talking about three x equity multiple over a pretty short horizon. Like people should should jump yeah. at that. And I think the more seasoned investors understand that and do. It's just interesting. Yeah, and you know, and I say it's like a VC fund, but in a VC fund, you know, you're basically lighting money on fire for a startup. Um, you know, and so it, with land, that's mitigated because there's a hard asset underneath it yeah, that has intrinsic it. value, right? right? And so that's why we constrained our geographic region and our our buy box basically really constricted to to certain areas um, where the hard asset we you know, are 99% sure over the next five years is not losing any value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And to some extent too, if it's just dirt, there's not much you can really do to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're to, not to dumping pollutants, we're not dumping pollutants into it or anything. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, even if it just stays there, uh, you know, you can go and check the historical returns for raw land, um, even in recession times. I mean, it, yes, the, the, the price kind of, it can go down, year over year but in terms of real real price it's it's a inflation hedge for sure yeah yeah absolutely i that's i've never did any owner finance notes with houses or multifamily or anything but the land i'm like i, I don't know what, what's the worst going to happen they're going to default i'm going to take it back and i don't know what did they burn some trees down i don't know you know i i mean i i had i have one or two scary stories from that uh you know i had one guy that was running a meth lab um, on a, a 40 acre property in nowhere, Colorado and ended up someone dying in, oh, in wow. that situation. And so I wow. had, was contacted by the Colorado state authorities on that not one. The call uh, you want. No, it's not I actually got a call from the, the father of the guy who had died. Um, oh, man. that was, That's that was, tough. that was tough. That was yeah. real tough. So I was like, I need to make some changes into <laughs> what, what's happening. You know, the guy told me he was going to he said he was going to put a solar farm on there and solar farms were all the rage in this region of Southern Colorado where we were buying yep. and selling. And so I was like, all right. Uh, and then no, he, he didn't do that. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. We've had some, some knocks on the door from solar farms. That's, that's interesting, but yeah, I guess your, your screening criteria up front, um, has got to be there. And it's not like you're swinging by these things regularly checking on them. Right. Yeah. And you know what? It was, to be honest with you, it was a super cheap property. I think we bought it for 6,500 bucks and then wow. we got seven grand on the down payment on the sell side. And so we didn't really, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like free uh, land that you hold title yeah, to. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And so yeah. after that though, we were like, ah, that was kind of, that was a close call. We should probably like tighten up our potential buyer screening. Yep. Yep. Makes sense. Um, I love it. Well, thanks for for sharing all this, Kyle, and kudos for starting the company and getting it up and running. It's, you know, I'm I'm definitely a fan of people that go out and start their own venture and and make a go of it. You've been at this for a, a little while now. What advice do you have to yourself when you were just starting out? Now that you've kind of seen seen some things, 
That's a great question. I would probably tell myself you're not going to get rich overnight. Yeah. Work, just continue to work hard, take risk and work hard and have a longer time horizon for mm. things working out the way that you envision them. Yeah. I love it. It's interesting. I think that's, that's very wise. And it's, um, you know, I think the, the dichotomy of that is a lot of times we get into business because we got these big ideas and that is the momentum or the rocket fuel we need for those first couple of difficult years as an entrepreneur, that kind of dream of, I don't want to say quick riches, but Hey, we want to build something big, right. And, and, and live a big lifestyle and all that, that can be the momentum to kind of get you through the first few years until the business really starts uh, uh, producing. But yeah, it's a long game, like, like any successful venture, right. It's going to, it's going to take a lot of, a lot of work to get it going, but I appreciate that. Um, Awesome, man. Well, thanks for jumping in on, on land and, and your story and what your, your company's doing. This has been a kind of breath of fresh air for me to talk about something different outside of multifamily. And I'm sure yeah. for the audience too, I appreciate that. If somebody listening wants to connect with you, what's a good avenue for that? Best way is on Twitter, honestly. I'm pretty active cool. on there, um, at T Kyle. T-K-Y-L-E. Um, I tell people T stands for the, but it doesn't. <laughs> uh, stands for what? The. <laughs> of the, the, Kyle, the, Kyle, the one yeah. and only. Yeah, yeah. no. Awesome. Um, yeah, at T-Kyle on Twitter. I'm active on there. I, I love get, uh, just jamming with people on different real estate ideas. There's tons of brilliant people doing way better than I am on Twitter. So that's where I like to hang out. Cool. That's where I found you. And you you thankfully accepted my invite to come on the podcast. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. We'll link. We'll link to that in the show notes. We'll also link to your website if you want to visit that. And um, you guys listen and reach out to Kyle. It'll be right in the show notes so you can scroll through and, and click through. Um, but Kyle, thanks so much. I appreciate you, you coming on and I wish you guys success in 2023. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed being here. Awesome. Take care. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.